Hi, this is Mark, lead pastor of Lux Digital Church. I want to thank you for joining us today and also invite you to join with us live at twitch.tv slash Church every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. EST. Thank you for joining us and please enjoy this message. Well, welcome in to Lux Digital Church. Thanks, Mark, for praying there. Thank you, everybody, for joining in as well. Uh, thanks for joining us whenever or wherever you're joining us from. I am Andy. I'm also known as Chino Mage. Uh, I'm the director of On Demand Ministries here at Lux, which is honestly just a fancy way of saying that I want to get all of you out there in YouTube, podcast, and video on demand land connected to our wonderful and amazing, awesome church. We have this wonderful Discord server filled with 24-7 activity all the time, literally just there's always somebody in there hanging out. And and it's really honestly where the real meat of our church is. But if you're not interested in joining Discord, I know that leap can be a little tough sometimes. And uh, man, yes, Andy is secretly, don't tell anybody, shock the toast in the chat, kind of giving away my, my secret here. Uh, we've got some awesome things coming up for you. We're working on a whole bunch of things behind the scenes. Comment below if you are watching this on YouTube or on VOD or hit us up in the chat right now, and we would love to get you connected to the church. All right, uh, let's dive in. We have been coming to the close of this current collection of talks we've been in for the last seven or eight weeks uh, that's been called Things Jesus Didn't Say. And we're really combating some of the misinformation about the things that people like to throw out into the world about who Jesus really is and what God has said or has not said. And we're going right to the source, which is the Bible. And uh, we're trying to figure out the truth of what Jesus actually said. Our entire focus this year, actually, at Lux has been on Jesus and will continue to be on Jesus, how to be better followers of Jesus, how to act more like Jesus did, how to talk more like Jesus, how to be part of God's kingdom that Jesus came to put together, and most importantly, how to think like Jesus. And yes, Bougie, I have joined a small group. Look, this dude, Bougie, uh, running up uh, the trees out there. Join a small group. Absolutely. Please go join a small group. As we start to think about Jesus, though, our job is to figure out the line between what Jesus is telling us and the things that Jesus never said. And that's why we're centering on this entire collection of talks around this key statement. And that is what Jesus didn't say can be just as important as what Jesus did say. So today, as we get going, I want you to blow the chat up right now with the answer to this question. What was your favorite TV show when you were growing up, when you were young? I'm, and I'm talking younger than you are now. It can be a cartoon. It can be live action. What was it? Throw those in the chat. I want to read kind of through some of these because I love kind of just doing a team. Ooh, the A team. Goodness gracious. That's what I'm talking about. The Meek Streak A team. Um, Ed, Ed and Eddie. That's a good one. Thank you, St. Bear. Pokemon. There's like a million different Pokemons. Happy Trails. Gundam Wing. Strawberry Shortcake. Strawberry Shortcake, says Zeph in the chat. Ooh, man. That's uh, I, all I remember those is my sister had those toys and they always smelled and then I would always just throw them against the window. Dragon Ball Z. Static Shock. Ooh, Static Shock. Weird audio guy. Arthur and Gilligan's Island, Tex Holden is younger than me and acts like he's older than me. Uh, the 90s X-Men and Spider-Man cartoons. Nobody's naming my, my favorite TV show. So get ready for this. I'm a little bit older than you, um, and I I'm, I'm a millennial, so bear with a millennial like me. My favorite TV show when I was growing up was WWF Mania. 
Okay. WWF Mania was this recap show of all the things that had happened that week in wrestling because I was young and my parents wouldn't let me stay up to watch the shows late at night because I had a bedtime. I know that's that's like a shocker, but I actually had a bedtime when I was growing up. But WWF Mania would air on Saturday mornings. And so I'd wake up on a Saturday uh, after a long, long week of school, all those other things. Recess. That was a a good one, Telly. Uh, Tell. That's Chantel. Awesome. I'd wake up on a Saturday. I'd watch Ninja Turtles, which is like my probably my second favorite show. Uh, I'd watch Pro Stars, which if you don't know Pro Stars, it was Wayne Gretzky and it was Bo Jackson and it was Michael Jordan and they were fighting crime. It was a really dumb show and I really loved it. So Ninja Turtles, Pro Stars, Captain Planet, and then... WWF Mania would come on and I would watch Yokozuna Sumo Splash under Razor Ramon and then watch Hacksaw Jim Duggan, his tag team partner, come down with a two by four singing ho oh, and smacking people on the back of it. But then ravishing Rick Rude would like pop out of the bottom of the uh, of the ring and then all chaos would break out. And it was like this highlight clip thing. It was amazing. It was like my favorite show ever. There we go. The squawk. Oh, happy trails hit hitting it up too. the problem was I also played hockey. I played ice hockey. I was born in Michigan and all those things. I played ice hockey from when I was three years old up until I was about 18. And games and practices were on Saturday and Sunday mornings, which is stupid, right? So I would inevitably have to miss WWF mania because I'd be freezing on some outdoor rink doing drills and I would beg my dad to record it on our old VCR, which is this contraption that you'd put this large plastic tape into, and uh, then you'd have to set some timer to start recording at 10 a.m. And I honestly, my dad is like a super techie guy, and I honestly don't think that it ever worked correctly because the timer would inevitably not start or it would tape the wrong channel or something like that. And then we would get home and I'd run to the TV and I'd rewind the tape and I'd press play and be all excited, ready to after hockey. I'm eating lunch. Oh man, I'm ready to go. And then the news would be on or some QVC thing, thing trying to sell me a necklace. Super stupid. That was then. But now y'all don't know how good you have it. I hear I hear people complain when they're bored and they don't know what to watch. Oh, there's just so much and I don't know what to pick from. Are you kidding me? You've got Hulu and Netflix and Prime and Max, which is HBO Max, but now it's Max as of like yesterday. And you have Peacock and you have Crunchyroll and you have Apple TV Plus and you have YouTube TV and you have on and on and all of these things. Twitch, you have all of these things that are just giving you content to watch any stinking time you want. You want to watch, you want to binge Stranger Things for like the fourth time in a row? Go for it. You feel like watching old episodes of Dragon Ball Z? Like I see somebody, people, somebody, uh, sharing in the chat, knock yourself out. You need an energy drink or toilet paper or an electrical tape or something like that, a- along with your newly served up TV shows. Well, if you're in a big enough city, you can place an order to Mr. Bezos himself and he will have someone deliver it to your door within hours. We're living right now in this on demand world. It's awesome, right? I-, I love, I love being able to just like, open my app and then there's an energy drink two hours later. It's great. But the problem is, I think a lot of us start to transfer that same on-demandness to God because we want an on-demand God. I want an on-demand God right now. I want to pray something and then 
because Jesus told me I could ask and receive. I want it delivered to me right now. And it, and it sort of distorts our view of Jesus because not everything will be given to us. And that's because despite what we may think or want, we are tackling today the thing that Jesus never said. Jesus never said that God is a genie. Jesus never said, ask for whatever you want and it will be given to you. Never. He never said that. God is not an on-demand God. There's this uh, super famous pastor. His name's Craig Rochelle of Life Church. Dude is essentially invented uh, like digital internet streaming church. And he has this awesome way of putting it. Craig Rochelle says, our God is not a celestial sugar daddy. <clears throat> I love that. God doesn't exist to give us exactly what we want, when we need it, or why we need it, or how we need it. He, 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 that's not what God is. And that's not just like praying to God, like, oh God, I need $5 million right now. God, God doesn't exist to do that. That's also the hard stuff. Maybe your parents were going through some things when you were younger and you prayed and you prayed that they would stop fighting, but they ended up getting a divorce. Or maybe someone you love deeply got sick and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed that they would be healed, hoping against all hope and praying against all odds that they were going to make it, but they didn't. <clears throat> and then it's the age old question of where are you, God, when I'm hurting? Where are you when I need you? Where are you when my finances aren't in order? Why am I broke? Why am I depressed all the time? Why aren't you as powerful as I've heard? Can't you just snap your fingers and create something for me like you supposedly created the world? God is not an on-demand God. Jesus never once taught or said or did anything to make us believe that he was ready to act like a cosmic genie or some heavenly vending machine that if we just pray the right words or give the right things or put the right quarters into the right things, poof, our prayer request appears. Jesus never gave that off. We have to have faith in Jesus, knowing that he is capable of everything, and we have to trust that our futures are grounded in the character of who God is a loving father or a caring creator, a merciful savior who always wants the best for us. We have to have that faith and we have to have that trust. See, when we start to follow Jesus, we're, we're told a couple of things that are really, really important. We are taught to love God and love other people. That's one of them. We are taught to give of our time and our money and of ourselves. That's, a, that's another one. But the other big thing that we're taught when we start to follow Jesus is that we need to pray. And prayer is just talking to God. And we can do that on our knees or through songs or through silence or through walking or there's a, a billion different ways to pray, to talk to God. See, this, this idea of the on-demand genie sort of heavenly vending machine God actually comes from a misunderstood passage of scripture in Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 7, kind of their parallel passages. <clears throat> and Jesus is teaching his disciples how to actually pray. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 9, the passage actually says this, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. Now, 
This is a little bit of a sneak peek into our next collection of talks starting next month, and we'll talk about that next week. Uh, we're going to be talking about prayer, and I, I don't want to dive too much into this particular passage because it's going to come up again, but, but there it is in plain old English. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. I, I mean, it's right there, clean as day. There's actually 11 other places in the Bible that, are, that, that talk about having a, the smallest amount of faith, a, a mustard seed or a grain, uh, the, the littlest part of faith. And if you have that much faith, then God will literally throw a mountain into the ocean because you asked him. Or there's other parts of the Bible in, in some of those 11 places that tell us to go and pray and boldly ask God for certain things, and then we'll receive them. Those passages in, Bi in the Bible speak about prayer and receiving by believing in a sense that you can ask anything of the Lord and he will give it to you no matter what it is, just as long as you keep asking or increasing your faith. But, it, but it's not really a blanket promise. If, if you have enough faith and you pray enough, will anything just be given to you? Is God actually just this cosmic genie waiting for you to put that quarter into the slot? And then like that arcade game with the arm that swings back and forth, if you say the right thing and do the right thing at the right time, there'll be enough quarters just kind of bounce there and then you'll get like the heavenly jackpot. That game's a scam, by the way. Don't play that game. That game is a stupid scam. Some of you may be shaking your head automatically at this, at the idea that you can just ask God for whatever you want and he's going to give it to you. But that, that's the promise of the prosperity gospel that Pastor Mark actually talked about last week in our, in our last talk. The prosperity gospel says that the Bible promises health and wealth and happiness and whatever you want if you just simply believe. And if you weren't with us last week, if you have not had a chance to catch up on the VOD, spoiler alert, the Bible does not say that. And it's actually that, that, that kind of belief that really leads a lot of people to turn not towards God, but away from God. Because we pray and we have this belief that ultimately that the things are going to be given to us, but when they don't happen, we are angry and we turn away from God. When we start following Jesus, though, we're, we're, we're given this measure of faith. That's, that's kind of the first step that happens. We say, yes, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, died, uh, resurrected, coming again. And you're given this, this little measure of faith, right? Faith is, is just a fancy way of saying believing in something that you can't see. Because you can't, you can't really see Jesus. I mean, we're told he's with us all the time, but we can't really see him. We can feel him. And, you know, there's other ways to kind of gather that Jesus is with us, but we can't see him. And so we have to have faith that he loves us and that he is with us and that he wants the best for us, which is what the Bible teach us, teaches us. And then we're told to use that faith to pray because faith leads to talking to God via prayer. And then we're told to talk to him about everything. The Bible teaches that we should be talking to God about everything, big and small, and then, you know, quote, we'll ask and we'll receive. And so it's, so it's easy to confuse faith in God with wishful thinking, especially when we desire a certain outcome during those prayer times. But true faith does not flinch when we do not get what we want. Let me say that again. True faith does not flinch when we do not get what we want. And so I want to break this down, and I want to look at true faith, and I want to look at a couple of things that show that our God is not an on-demand God, but, but, 
just because he's not a man, uh, on-demand God means so much more. Our God is a faithful God. So let's let's break this down. The first thing I want I want to I want to reference is this: Our God is always loving. God is always loving. That's number one. The on-demand thinking way of kind of going about who God is. On-demand thinking says that God is a genie and I have three wishes. And if I just say the thing and it'll happen on, oh, wait, my prayer wasn't answered. So God must not love me. Boo hoo. But the faith way of thinking knows that God is always loving. I, uh, I was trying to rack my brain for a story because I have kids. I have three kids. They're my stepchildren, but I just, they're my children for all intents and purposes. My wife and I have been married almost 10 years. These kids have been with me for almost 10 years. They're my children. I call them mine. They call me dad. It's a, it's a thing. And I love them dearly. And I would do anything for them. Seriously, anything. I, I would go to the ends of the earth for them. And I'm just a human. I can't imagine what God is like. But our oldest child, Austin, he is sometimes pretty forgetful. He's 19 now. He's a super awesome kid. He's doing amazing things in, in at college now, but he can be pre pretty forgetful. And if you don't have kids, uh, you, you might not know this, but the aim of being a parent is, is to train your, your, your kids, to train them to be well-adjusted adults who can live and operate in this world. It, it's to train them to know who they are and who they belong to, who, that they are their own person and that they belong to God. That's the aim of what a parent is to do. And, and, and Austin is incredibly, incredibly intelligent. He's creative. He's funny. He's an incredibly good student. He loves Jesus, but he just forgets things sometimes. And then he can just be really lazy at other times. And in the eighth grade, he, he had to miss a number of days of school because of, he was sick. It was not COVID. This was way before COVID. He had to miss a number of days of school because he had a sickness. And then there were a couple of trips and some other things that happened. And he missed a number of days during that year. Now, I don't know how school is where you are, especially post you know pandemic, but schools used to have things called excused and unexcused absences. Excused absences were essentially unlimited. All you needed was a note from your parents that, that showed that, yes, I knew my kid was not just skipping school, that there was something. That was excused. Unexcused absences were limited. Although you were kind of really never told the number that you have. It was like 10, but maybe it was 12, but maybe it was eight. You didn't really know, but if you went over that limit, they could essentially hold you back from graduating or they would make you take all your finals or some other thing, depending on who you are and what your grades were. It was a, it's a weird sliding scale of things. Austin, because he was kind of absent all of those times, he had excuse notes for pretty much all of his absences. And then at one point, and I don't know why, and I don't know what happened, but he just stopped bringing the excuse notes into the office where he needed to drop them off. He would just go to school and then these notes would just sit in his backpack or on his desk at home. He, he wasn't, I don't think he was doing it on purpose. Maybe he was, I, no, I don't, he wasn't doing it on purpose. He couldn't have, he would just forget, just, just slip his mind. And then all of a sudden towards the end of the school year, we got a notice saying that Austin was going to have to take all of his finals and he may miss out on graduating middle school. We got this notice in an email and then it then mailed to us. And we were like, 
what is going on? And so we couldn't figure out what was going on. He couldn't figure out what was going on. Like they didn't really give, it was kind of this nebulous thing until my wife opened up the little class thing on her, the app on her phone. And she looked at Austin's absences. Now, we could have handled all of this for him. We could have called the administration office. We could have said, hey, he has the thing. It's okay. We knew he was missing. All this stuff would have been cleared up. We had relationships with these people. It would have been fine. But no, we made Austin walk in to the office. We made him sit in the waiting room. We made him have a difficult conversation, especially for an eighth grader. And we made him say sorry to the admin. We love him. We loved him then and we love him even more now. And we could have had an easy conversation to kind of clear all of this up. But instead, we wanted to train him to have difficult conversations and then to admit when he was wrong. And he did. And it, it, was, it was painful for him. But you know what? He's now had some really difficult conversations as he's gone into college and he's actually secured some internships that will really help his future career. Like he's doing future career stuff in digital media right now, all because he knew how to talk to people in different and kind of difficult circumstances. See, as a parent, you, you never don't love your children. But there are times when you have the power to do what they want, to clear things up, to make sure that things are easy and comfortable for them, but you don't because you love them and you have a higher plan of training them to be adults. It's no different with us and God looking at us. And yes, I, I am extremely proud of him. God is always loving towards us, and it's no different with how God acts towards us as a heavenly parent. No matter what happens, no matter your circumstances, no matter if you understand it or not, God loves you infinitely, forever. There's no end, there is no beginning to how much he loves you right now in this instant. And there are times when you are pleading with him and you are knowing that he could answer your prayer and like a genie make a wish come true, but sometimes he doesn't. And it's in those times that you need to remember that God's character, the very fiber of who God is, is that he is always loving. Thank you, Piglet. One of the best scripture passages of all time, and one of my favorite sort of areas to get lost in the Bible comes from Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the churches of Rome at the time, and this letter is gathered up in the, what we call the book of Romans. And towards the end of Romans chapter 8, Paul asks this rhetorical question in verse 35. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It's rhetorical. He's not expecting an answer. He's just kind of using this to prove a point. Most of us aren't going to face swords or anything like that this week. Hopefully, if you do, like, let's talk. We, we, we need to have a conversation. But if, but if we were to bring this to our world today, to your world where you are right now, Paul may be saying, look, what's going to separate you from Jesus's love? Is it going to be financial troubles? Is it going to be cancer? Is it going to be breakups? Is it going to be divorce? Is it going to be depression or anxiety? Is it going to be one of those vices, pornography or addiction that, 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 that keeps plaguing you? What's going to separate you from Jesus's love? He goes on in verses 37 and 38 to answer that question. He says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing separates us from God's love. God doesn't have to prove his love to us. He doesn't have to. Jesus already showed that when he willingly went to die on a cross. He didn't have to go die on the cross. God is always loving, and he always knows what he's doing. That's because the second thing to note following right off of that is this. God's way is always better. God is always loving, and his way is always better. That guy, Craig Groeschel, uh, the pastor, Craig Groeschel, puts it this way. He says, God's ways are always higher than us. How many times have you looked at something or heard a story or had something happen to you, and you start to wonder, why is God letting this happen? Why is that person dying? Or why is that person being allowed to declare mass genocide on an entire population? Why cancer? Why disease? Why famine? Why? Why, why, why? I've been a pastor for 15 years, almost 15 years-ish. And I've been asked that question countless times. And every time somebody asks me why, you know what my answer is most of the time? I don't know. I don't know. It's the most unempowering thing that you can say, because I don't know. I don't know why God allows things to happen. I know he's powerful. I know that Jesus can walk on water and raise dead people and you know give out bread and fish from a little happy meal, but sometimes he just doesn't. And I always have to follow up in those counseling sessions or in those pastoral talks. I always have to follow up my, I don't know, with it's too high or too compli complicated for me. It, it's above my pay grade. And, and that's not a joke. I, I'm, not, I'm not laughing when I say that. All of this stuff is too high for me to comprehend. I, I consider myself a decently intelligent individual. I consider myself well-read. I, I know the Bible. I, I know these things. And yet, oftentimes it's too high for me to comprehend. Because the prophet Isaiah was right when he told us in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9, this is a poem. And he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We're going to pray, and we're going to ask, and we're going to wish, and we're going to seek, and there's going to be times when we don't understand why things are happening. I'm at a loss in those times. My personality tries to rationalize and, and tries to look at all of the other factors surrounding things, and so it's extra, super frustrating when I do have to say, I don't know. But in those times, we need to see them not as detractors from our faith, but, but buffs, increases, because we can always keep coming back to that first point that God is loving, always loving. And we can know that there is a greater purpose to it all. I, I know it feels like a little bit of a cop-out and I apologize that it does. If you're on stream and you're kind of shaking your head and you're going, yeah, this guy doesn't know Jesus or this guy's not proven anything. I, I apologize that that seems like a little bit of a cop-out, but I truly believe that there are things happening all the time that have eternal significance that may appear bad right now, but end up being for good. 
because I, I don't know all sides of the story. I, I, I just don't know. I, uh, my wife and I, so I, we've been married almost 10 years and I, uh, I had the opportunity to, before I met her, I was a 30 year old guy and I was, I was 29 years old and I was single and I was doing a whole lot of stuff. And I was a pastor. I was a worship pastor for a church and I had an opportunity to do one of my dreams. That was to join the armed forces. I, uh, had always wanted to join the armed forces. I really couldn't, I, my eyesight, I'm like almost legally blind without my contacts in. Um, I'm in physical shape. I was, I whooped the tests, all those other things. I, that was not a problem. It was always my eyesight. And I, I, I had an issue. And so as I got to about 30 years old, I, I graduated and I had a degree. And now all of a sudden I could go into the armed forces. And so I had an opportunity to join the air force as a chaplain. And so uh, I went through the whole process. I went, did my whole tests. I did everything. I was, I was on the way there. And uh, I got a call from my recruiter. He said, hey, you're, you know, you, in about two weeks, uh, you're going to have your, your ship out date and all this other stuff. I was like, cool, I'm doing this. I'm going to the Air Force. I'm going to be a captain in the Air Force. I'm going overseas. We're going to go to Germany or wherever we're going to go to Guam, maybe. We're going to go somewhere. And then I met this stunning young lady. She was a little bit older than me. I met this lady at church and I don't know what happened. I, I, I mean, I do know what happened, but I felt something immediately. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I spent about two weeks praying. And God told me, don't go join the Air Force. And I had no nothing to go on. I'd never even been on a date with this girl. I'd never even talked to this girl. I mean, I talked to her a couple of times, but you know, we hadn't like had a serious conversation and all these other things. And then we ended up getting married like eight months later. If I would have said yes to the Air Force, I never would have been married. I never would have been able to train Austin and hang out with his family. I probably wouldn't have been here right now. Some of you might think that's better. See, sometimes the better way that God has for you is not huge like that. Like my story with the Air Force. Sometimes it's a little more subtle. Sometimes it takes years or decades to even see. Sometimes it's not actually for you. If God saying no to you means that there's something on the other side for somebody else, again, how are we ever going to know that on this side of eternity? Maybe the person that actually filled my spot in the Air Force, in as the chaplaincy, maybe he was on the waiting list and really needed that job and really did more good than I will ever know. I, I don't know. And most of the time, neither will you, at, at least in the immediate future, maybe later on, but but also maybe not. And and I'm I'm so sorry that I can't be of comfort to you in all of this. An, an on-demand God would simply fix all of it, right? Just there's your wish. But But then where would the line be? <laughs> How much would we learn? How would we grow and become more like someone that God wants us to be? We have a we have a very temporary view of earth. We are here for however many years, 30 to 80 years, let's say. And really, if you think about infinite time, that's really just a speck of sand in the infinite desert of time, of existence. And in that temporary view, we may hate this. This might be the worst thing. But in the eternal view of God, it's his grand movie. It's his big overarching story. It's his infinite wisdom and his infinite knowledge. Maybe what the no is for you now makes complete sense. I have a million questions I'm going to ask God when I see him face to face. A million, and I'm sure you do too. 
And the last thing that I need you to know about this is that God's presence is always enough. I know this is a weird one to believe, especially especially coming off the heels of like, I'm not being any comfort to you whatsoever, and I apologize. And especially since we're all online right now, and most of us are not physically in a room with each other, and you're probably not present with anyone ever, going to ever be pre- physically present from anyone in our church. But God's Holy Spirit is there with you right now. He is omnipresent. He is able to be everywhere all at once. But more than that, his presence is something that can that can strengthen you and can guide you and make you able to handle those situations you may think that he's not answering you on. And this is something that all of us need to grow into. This is something that I pray all of us here at Lux can start to take steps toward, recognizing that walking with Jesus and becoming a little bit more aware of his presence in our lives is the all-important endeavor of our existence. This is the all-important thing, recognizing Jesus's presence with us. Just like it was in ancient Israel, after they'd been freed from slavery in Egypt, they were forced to wander around the desert for 40 years because of their own sin and their own rebellion. But at the end of that, they approached the promised land. And that whole God had guided them with his presence, either a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. He had been there with them and they approach the edge of the promised land and Moses is their leader. And then homie dies. God says, you are not able to go into the promised land and he dies. And his right hand man, Joshua was appointed to lead the millions of people that had been following for 40 years into this unknown land. And they were to fight millions of other people to clear out the land who had been living in fortresses and cities. The people in this land were armed. They were ready to fight. They are armed to the teeth. And here, all of a sudden, rocks up this roving nomad band of what is essentially shepherds. Think of how scared all of Israel must have been at that time. How ready to give up and just kind of go out into the east and plant new cities and new towns. How daunting the cities and the walls must have looked. Think about that. Put yourself right there. And God brings Joshua up to the edge of this land, right up to the edge of the land before coming in. And he says this in Joshua uh, chapter 1, verse 9. He says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The presence of God with Israel allowed them to go and take over not just one city or one little town, but an entire nation because of the presence of God. And God, God's presence right now in your life, it enables you to fight. It enables you to combat the things that are scary, to push against the darkness of depression and sadness and the unanswered prayers and bankruptcy and sins. It enables you to not be frightened or dismayed when God says no. We may immediately want our prayers answered and we may immediately want things to go our way all the time. We we may want a God on an app that could just Amazon Prime us something to fix all of it, but I actually think that would be the worst way of looking at things because that's not love and that's not a higher purpose and that's not a better presence. That's just paying bills. Because remember, God is always loving and his ways are always higher and more knowledgeable than ours. And he is always with us. He's not just some on-demand genie of a Lord. He is much, much, much 
bigger than that. And he empowers us with his presence. So why does all of this matter? Why all of the heartbreak and why me bumming you out? Each week during this series, we've been closing with something to take away. And here's why this matters today. Even though it might not seem like it, God is a giver. Even though it might not seem like it, God is a giver. He's a giver not only of good gifts and life and the breath that we fill our lungs with and food and the internet to hang out on and games to play and people around us. He, he, he gives us not only those things, but he gives us the very best gift of all. His very son, Jesus. Because sin needed a sacrifice to make things all right to put us back in right standing with God. And we no longer need to use animals and grain sacrifices like they did in, in the Old Testament. We have Jesus, who is the literal son of God, who gave himself up to be our sacrifice. And even though we may be praying and asking for things, we may be rubbing the lamp thinking that the genie God is living in it. And even though we might not be getting the responses we want, we can trust that God is always a giver because if he is always loving and always wise and always present and above all gave us the biggest gift of all as his son Jesus, why would he not want to show you love and wisdom and presence? Let me pray for you now. Uh, and I want us to take that to heart just a little bit. And if you do have questions, I know the chat has been running wild. There's been some awesome things happening in the chat. And I can't wait for Pastor Mark to jump in there and answer some of these things. I, I'd be, I, I would love to answer as well. Uh, I... I want to pray for you. I want to pray for the awareness and the presence of Jesus with you. But I, but I also want to pray for those things that might be kind of hiding in your heart that you've been a little bitter towards God about. I want to, I want to pray for your own wisdom and your own knowledge to see that God is loving and wise and present. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for times like this when we're scattered all over the place and when we hear bad news that we're not going to have all our prayers answered. Thank you for uh, your love and your wisdom and your presence. God, your ways are higher than our ways and your love is greater than our love and your presence is always with us, Lord. And it's, it's in this time that our church gathered here and on demand and listening and via podcast and watching via VOD. God, there are times that we ask for things and more often than not, you're going to say no on certain things. And God, we, we know you're not just a genie in a bottle. You're, you're way bigger than that. And so we're coming to you right now, asking you for your love, asking you for your wisdom and asking you for your presence so that when you do say no, if you do say no, that we can understand why and that we can count on your love and your wisdom and your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for gathering with us tonight. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Lux Digital Church. If Lux has been having an impact on your life, I want to encourage you to visit us at luxdigitalchurch.com and get connected to our community there. We're so thankful for you, and we appreciate you. Have a blessed day and a blessed week.